The scripture reading is from Luke 3, verses 1 to 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonidas, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to the son of came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Let's just pray again for a moment. Father, as we approach your word, we need your spirit. We need your spirit to open our hearts and our understanding. We need him to help the preacher. We need him to help all of us. We want to hear from you today. We pray that you would do that. Speak to us. Amen. So this, this is a passage that describes the way that God prepared the world for the ministry of his son, how God paved the way for the work of the Messiah. <clears throat> and as uh, we look at this passage, I just want to break my thoughts into just kind of a, a simple structure. I want to talk about problem, solution. So first I want to talk about the world's problem as it's described in, in this passage. And then I want to talk about God's very surprising solution to that. So problem, solution. We'll start with the problem. problem is very simple. Um, even though God had sent the Messiah into the world, the world was not ready for him at all. Now, what, what do I mean by Messiah? Um, you're probably familiar with this, but through, throughout the Bible, almost from the very beginning, um, from the moment that humans rebelled against God and the whole world just was plunged into sin, throughout the Bible, God had been again and again, in kind of some kind of mysterious ways, just promising again and again. Someone will come. Someone will come. The Hebrews called him the, the Mashiach, the, 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 the anointed one, the Messiah. Someone would come, God promised, again and again, who would make everything right again. So, for example, the first place you see this, Garden of Eden, John, uh, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve have just been seduced by this lying serpent and, and led astray from God's love. And then God shows up and God says, someone will come. And he calls them the seed of the woman. He says, someday the seed of the woman will come and he will crush the serpent's head. Several hundred years later, I mean, many hundreds of years later, um, God calls this man named Abraham to follow him. And he makes, again, a, a similar promise. He says, Abraham, your offspring. And strangely, it, it's, it's the singular, not the plural. It's like it's talking about one person. God says, Abraham, through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Okay, talking about the Messiah. Centuries after that, um, God appoints this young man named David to become king over Israel, and the word of God comes to David, and, and God says to David, David, one day, one of your own sons, a man who descends from your lineage, he will arise to his throne, and God says, I will establish his kingdom. It will be like no other kingdom, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of mercy. It will spread from shore to shore, and it will never end. 
talking about the Messiah. Oh, man, Isaiah, hundreds of years later, he described the, the Messiah in a way that just blew people's minds. He called him the servant, the suffering servant, one who would come and through his own um, grief and sorrow, he would bring healing to the rest of us. Isaiah 53 said, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Again, talking about the Messiah. So through Scripture, there's this repeated drumbeat, of this mysterious promise. Someone will come. Someone will come. He will, everything's sad. He will make it right again. And the problem in this passage is that the world wasn't ready for this. The world, the condition of the world is described in, in the first few verses here uh, by the listing of seven names, seven men. You got Tiberius Caesar, he's the, the leader of the Roman Empire. You got Pontius Pilate, he's the governor of Judea. Herod Antipas, he oversaw the region of Galilee. His brother Philip, who ruled, however you pronounce it, Iteria, Trachonitis, Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. Not, I don't think it was in Texas, it was different Abilene. And um, then in Jerusalem, there's the high priesthood that's under the control of these guys, Annas and Caiaphas. Now, we know more about some of these guys than we do about others, but in general, they're not, they're not good men. Philip may have been, ah, but he was still a lackey for the Roman government. These, these are not good men. What they have in common is this. They're all rich. They're all powerful. They all, listen, even the high priests, they all have armed soldiers that serve them, do their bidding, to use the threat of violence to accomplish their will. So, and, 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 and they're not good so you see the problem. The world is under control of people who are not good. Tiberius Caesar, for example, he's a dictator. He ruled this, this huge empire. In certain parts of the Roman Empire in the first century, as many as 35 to 40% of the people were slaves. In other parts of the region, Tiberius was worshipped as if he were a god. He's noted by early historians as, as being someone who is just, he ruthlessly executed his political opponents. Bad man. Uh, Herod Antipas, violent, sexually immoral, um, a, a man who exploited women, and, and, and a guy who was so devious and so underhanded that Jesus referred to him as the fox. He's the fox. Pontius Pilate was a military man, very uh, skillful politically, and he used his, his political skills to rise to power. His job was to oversee the Jewish people of Judea, and he subjugated them. Through a reign of terror, he employed a, what was a sort of a legal form of lynching um, called crucifixion. Bodies hanging everywhere. Here's a bad, even, even the high priests, Annas and Caiaphas, they're supposed to be the high priests of the people of Israel. They, they were corrupt. They corrupted the priesthood so that they could become wealthy men. So... That's the world into which the Messiah was sent <laughs> to bring the kingdom of God, right? This, it was a world where the rich called the shots, a world where the poor counted for nothing, a world where might made right, a world where military strength threatened global peace. It was that kind of world. And would you agree with me? It's not that hard to imagine what it would be like living in that kind of world, would it? Kind of sounds like our world. Like, so, oh, the, the rich call the shots. In our world right now, the top 1% of the population of this world controls one half of the wealth. 
doesn't sound right. Right now, an estimated 30 million people on this planet are living in slavery. And they say 60,000 of them are in the United States. Right, right now, there are over 10,000 nuclear warheads in the world. 4,000 of them are active right now. Right now, the, the gap, you know, in, in the Roman Empire, there's this huge gap between the rich and the poor. That, that gap just seems to be getting bigger and bigger in our country every passing year. The, um, the largest employer in America paid its CEO $22 million last year. Meanwhile, it's been reported by Forbes magazine in recent years, the, the, the workers for this country, for this company, their, their wages are so low, many of them, the only way they survive is by um, food stamps and, and, uh, and public assistance. So it's not that hard to, to imagine what it would be like to live in the first century, right? Just this world where, where the rich forget the poor, where the strong crush the weak, and the, you see the problem. That's the kind of world that the Messiah was sent into. You, know, you say, well, why is that a problem? Here's why it's a problem. Isaiah chapter 9 says that the Messiah was to be the prince of what? Prince of peace. How are you going to have peace when there's Roman soldiers everywhere? Right? Um, Isaiah 61 says the Messiah was to come to proclaim good news to the poor. How can there be any good news for the poor when the rich are the ones who make all the rules? Right? Or uh, Isaiah chapter 40, um, 49 says the Messiah was to be a light to the Gentiles, to the nations, so that God's salvation might reach the ends of the earth. But you know, the, um, these high priests, they were so corrupt that they had taken in the temple in Jerusalem, they had taken the court of the Gentiles, which was the only place in the, in the temple where non-Jewish people could go. It's the, in other words, it was the only place on the planet where non-Jewish people could get to know the living God. And they had taken the court of the Gentiles and they had shut out the Gentiles and turned it into a marketplace to make themselves rich. So how can, how can the Messiah be a light to the Gentiles when Gentiles can't even come into the house of God? So you, you see the problem. This is the problem. You got all these bad people in power controlling the world. And so the world's not ready for the Messiah. Now, what was God's solution to this? It's not what you would expect. I mean, so for example, uh, to a large degree, it, the, the problem was an economic problem. You know, this, the, the wealthy ignoring the poor. So you might expect an economic solution, some kind of you know, new tax structure. I don't know. Or, or someone would say, no, it's more of a political problem. You've got the wrong people who are in positions of power. So for obviously, you need a political solution. We've got to get the right people into office. You might expect that. Or someone would say, well, it's actually kind of a military problem. Rome has the, this huge army. They're just dominating the world. It's going to be a military solution. We need some kind of armed uprising. That, you know, those are the kinds of solutions you might expect to these specific problems. But God's, God's solution was so surprising, so different. The world was not prepared for the Messiah. God's solution was not to confront the world. God's solution was to call his own people to repent. It says in, in, I'll read again for you, 
And that, here I go. These, are, these names are not easy. It says in the 15th year, I don't know if I'm pronouncing them right, but in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was, was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priest of, priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Look at this. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Verse 3, he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The word of God came to John. Now, John is like name number eight after all these seven guys. And unlike the other seven names, John, he's not listed as having any kind of authority, right? Unlike these other men, he wasn't rich. Unlike them, he had no power. Um, Unlike them, you know, he... He, he did not live in a palace. He says he lived in a wilderness. But John had something these other rich, powerful men did not have. He had been given the word of God. Man, if you've read the Bible, this is where you start to get excited because you know, like whenever the word of God shows up, something's going to happen, right? You, we should never, ever, ever underestimate the power of the word of God. He's given the word of God, and, 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 and the, word was, um, the word was not sent. Isn't this weird? He, he was, John wasn't sent to go to Rome to preach the word to Caesar, right? Because Caesar needed some straightening out, but he wasn't sent there. He wasn't sent, he wasn't sent to Jerusalem to proclaim the word to these corrupt priests. He, so he was not sent to the seats of, of government or the halls of power. He wasn't sent to the military bases. He wasn't sent to the centers of academic learning. It says he was sent to the region of the Jordan. Um, we read later, we read in the book of Matthew that people from the region of Jordan, people from Galilee, people from, from Jerusalem, they're the ones who came to hear John. So it, What that means was, instead of being sent to these big, bad meanies in the world, John was sent with the word of God to the covenant people of of the Lord. He was sent to Israel. To to translate that theologically to our days, he he was sent to the church. Isn't that weird? I mean, the world is the problem. The world is these people out there. They're the problem. They're the ones that are causing all the, all the pain in the world. And, and God says, all right, I'm going to send my word to the church, to my people, to the, the covenant. Now, sometimes, you know, uh, American Christians, um, I know not everyone here, w- w- you know, might call themselves American. I don't know. But in, in this country in particular, wherever you're from, we look at this country and we say, you know, if there's ever going to be any hope for America, if there's ever going to be a revival here again, um, we got to do something about those people in Hollywood. Because I'm telling you, the movies, those guys, those people that make those movies, they are messed up people, right? We got to straighten them out. Or somebody else says, no, no, if, we're, if there's ever going to be a spiritual revival in America, we got to deal with those people on Wall Street because they are greedy. I'm telling you, they're greedy people. Or if, the, if we're going to uh, fix America, you know, we have to. Here's, you hear, how many times do you hear this? You've got to get the right person in the White House to get the right people on the Supreme Court, and if you do that, boom, problem solved. But judging from this passage, if this passage shows us anything at all about the way God works, if God were wanting to do in our place, in our day, something similar to what he did in the days of, of John, God would not be calling Wall Street or Washington to repentance. God would be 
sending his word to the church, to us, calling us to repent, which is what John did. He, he, he went into the, the Jordan and he brought the people of God to him. So don't worry about them out, out nowhere in the world, just us. Called them to repent. Now, what does that mean, repent? That's a scary word. Repentance, it, it shouldn't be scary. But repentance means is this it means a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. A change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. So your, your mind changes. You begin to think differently about when you're repenting, you begin to think differently about yourself, about your life. You begin to think differently about your goals and your values. You, you begin to think differently about how you've been relating to other people. Right? Just think differently. And then this thinking differently leads to changes in what you do and in, in the way you live. The uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism in, in modern English uh, puts it this way. Repentance Repentance that leads to life is a saving grace by which a sinner, having truly recognized his or her sin and having grasped the mercy of God in Christ, with grief and hatred of his or her sin, turns from it and turns to God, fully resolved to strive after new obedience. That's repentance. And repentance, um, there's always something very humbling about it. You kind of have to humble yourself when you repent. And boy, was that real for the people in John's time because he, it says that he was calling them to be baptized. And we need to understand this, is not, this was not Christian baptism. That wouldn't start for several years after this, all right? Baptism in the time of John, this was a ritual that was performed on Gentile people when they wanted to convert to become Jewish. So when John, this is this is when John when John called Jewish people to be baptized he was he was calling them to humble themselves so much that by being baptized they were basically saying to God God we're not we're not even worthy to be called your people anymore we're we're not even worth we're no better than the gentiles we're no better than the big bad people out there in the world we're we need to be forgiven. We need to be restored. We need you to make us your people in a brand new way. You see why that was humbling for them? Very humbling. And you might think, oh boy, this is bad. This is bad news. God wants to come and humble us. No, this was actually very, very good news for them. Very good news. I'll tell you why. Two reasons. First, by coming to his own people with this message of God just saying, I want you to repent, I want you to repent. I, I wonder if this just kind of lifted some burdens from them because they realized for the Messiah to come and change the world, we don't have to deal with Caesar. Who cares about Caesar? We don't have to change Pontius Pilate. We don't, we don't have to change Philip. We don't have to change all these other guys. We, in other words, it just kind of set them free. Like, we don't have to worry about the world anymore. We just have to focus on our relationship with God. And, and I wonder if, if there's anyone here today, and that's, maybe that's the way God wants to just kind of set you free from some needless burdens today because maybe there's people that you really love and their life is all messed up and they're far away from God and you're feeling like, I have to fix them somehow. 
Or maybe somebody has really sinned against you and hurt you, and you're saying, I have to somehow make this right. And God, you know what God would be saying to you? Would you please let me unburden you from that? You don't have to fix them. You don't have to. I'll deal with that. I just want to talk about you and me. I, I don't know if it, you, that makes any sense to you, but that can be a very freeing thing. Just say, you know what? God will deal with Seabrook. God will deal with whoever. He just wants to talk about me and him. So one reason why this was good news for them, just, just told them they didn't, have to, they didn't have to worry about other people's sins. They just had to worry about them staying close to God. Second reason this was such good news for them is because it says John preached a baptism of repentance for the what? For the forgiveness of sins. Thank you. In other words, John didn't preach repentance just so everybody could have one more opportunity to feel bad about themselves. Wouldn't that be nice, right? I'm preaching repentance so everyone can have a chance to grovel one more time before God. No. John preached repentance because God was ready to forgive them. Now, some of them, um, when, when they heard John talk about repentance, some of them probably specific sins came to mind. I know this has to change. And, may, and maybe um, when you hear me talk about repentance, maybe that's the way it is for you. Something very specific comes to mind. You know what it is. For many of them, it may not have been that way. It may, it, maybe they weren't aware of any big problem in their behavior, but it was just kind of like God saying, would you at least admit that you're kind of far from me right now? Would you at least admit that you've kind of drifted? You, in other words, it, it, for many of them, you know what it was? It was just a simple invitation from the Father. Come back home to me. Come back home to me. For forgiveness. Now, we, we tend to uh, uh, think about forgiveness in very individualistic terms. Me being forgiven for moral problems. And it, forgiveness does involve that. But if, if you read the, the Hebrew prophets, and John came in the tradition of the Hebrew prophets, when the Hebrew prophets talked about God bringing forgiveness of sin to Israel, it's almost always linked with promise of God saying, I'm going to bring the exiles home. So it was more than just me getting myself cleaned up. It was, it, it was God saying, forgiveness means all the children. The world is changed. So, how did God solve this problem? Here's the world, all these sins. Maybe you feel very burdened by problems in the world today. Maybe you feel burdened because of problems in people's lives that you love today. And, John, and God, if John were here, would say, would you just let God deal with the Messiah is ready to do his work. The Messiah is ready to change the world. And all you have to do is just hear the Father saying, you, come back home to me. Come back home to me. Now, the writers of Scripture link John's work with this prophecy from, uh, from Isaiah. The prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40. It, it, it was actually... The whole context of Isaiah 40 is God wanting to comfort his people, not condemn his people, comfort his people. And, and the promise that Isaiah gave, the prophecy Isaiah gave, that when, is that when that little voice starts calling in the wilderness and God's people begin to hear it and they begin to come back home again and repent, 
Right? The whole world is going to start to change. Va valleys and low places are going to be filled in. You got any low places in your life? It's like I said, I'm going to fill that in. And the mountains that block the, the path so you can't get through. God says those mountains are going to be flattened. And, 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 the, and, the, and the crooked places are going to be straightened out. And the rough places. Some of you have rough places in your life. God says, I'm just going to smooth that over. In other words, the, the, John had this confidence as he preached that if, if, if the people would just respond, if they would just, if they would just, God is calling them home again. If they would just come back home again, the Messiah will do something really, really And I know I'm not John, and this is not the first century. We're not in the wilderness of Judea. But, I, I, you know, God doesn't change. He's still the same God, isn't he? So I kind of have a sense. Maybe in your life or in your family or in, in our, us as a church. That if we would, in whatever way the Spirit is calling us today, if we would come back home, if we would repent. The Messiah might do something big here in our life. And I say that because, because we know the kind of God we have, right? He's not a God who ignores his children when they, when they, when they humble themselves before him. In fact, when, whenever we, we humble ourselves before God, how does he respond? He responds with incredible mercy and grace. It's intriguing to me that John could be so confident that God would forgive the people if they repented. Because you know what? You and I know a lot more about God's mercy than John did. John lived and died before, before the death and resurrection of Jesus. So he had, he had no idea how merciful God was. And our God, guys, he is so loving and so merciful that in order to restore us and restore this world in the person of his son, he came and died. And he rose again. And a God who would do that would never, refuse to pour out his grace upon us when we respond to him. Amen? So let's, let's pray together. We pray that as the, the people heard that voice in the wilderness, that we would hear your voice today, that your spirit, your Holy Spirit would give us grace to respond for your glory, our loving Father, in Christ's name, amen.